Hello and a warm welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Portland. So Sam is not only a coach who is renowned for his speed coaching ability, he's also a mentor to many strength and conditioning coaches in the field. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your speed training both in the gym and on the pitch. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Sam onto the show. So Sam, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks, mate. Thanks for being on. Um, looking forward to getting into episode episode two. It's the second one, right? Yeah, yeah. You've uh, very, uh, very generously given up even more time to to star on our uh, second version with you. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm super interested to get into some speed stuff because that's that's kind of what you're known for. Um, and uh, the last time we were looking at more kind of professional development and uh, mentoring. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've kind of uh, I've kind of got you for your area of expertise uh, in terms of uh, SNC specific. Um, but first, before we get into that, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so ten second version. Um, obviously, started started my professional club coaching career at Wasps, moved over to Ealing, worked in track and field, did a stint with Kenya Sevens and notably um, started working with um, Alex Gray, who was in the, the NFL and becoming sort of the first SNC coach to actively work with an NFL player. Um, and in that, that time, I've just found and developed a pure passion for for real applied speed training. Um, and that's what I love to do. And with the certification being built and ready at the moment, um, it's something that I'm trying to bring to to the masses, you know? And what's the certification before we get into all the, all the good uh, speed stuff? What, what's going on there? Um, so the certification is called Sports Speed, uh, the Sports Speed certification. And it's the first certification that actually shows you how. Um, I'm a massive believer in in all the the presentations and speaking that I do is to give people the how and not the what I did. It's not about me. It's about teaching and imparting information. So the certifications, 11 modules of of how to actually develop uh, sports specific speed. And within that, you obviously get a, you come to a live event with me. You get follow up. You we can complete a whole teaching loop with you. So there's amazing stuff coming, and um, yeah, I'm excited to to be able to to produce it. Absolutely awesome, man! I'm sure we can uh, we can crack a little link in there for the for the show notes as well. So if people are interested in uh, getting some more information on that, we'll uh, we'll throw that one in there so they can click that one nice and easily. But um, in terms of speed, then obviously <laughs> with that background, uh, the, you're the perfect person today to discuss why speed is important and how we how we train it. So first things first, uh, what is it and uh, why is it important in terms of sport? So it was it was quite quite a funny thing like my evolution with speed coaching um was wasn't great because i was uh, naturally quite a fast athlete and so speed came quite naturally to me so i'd never really paid it the respect on how to actually coach it until i was faced with actually doing so and no one got faster um so when <laughs> Good when yeah when um because I just took it all for granted, you know, and, and when, you know, now looking at speed, especially in the in the realm of of if we apply like general rules of physics, you know, it's, it's overcoming your body weight to 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 achieve a state of momentum, which we can convert into velocity. And when you can do all of that, 
then you can actually create change of direction. You can create nonlinear sprinting actions like swerves, cuts, you know, comebacks, all those sorts of things. Um, and also within that, it, it is the most effective and potent training stimulus that any athlete can do. So it's really important. And when when you look at uh, team sports, for example, so you, you mentioned American football there, but you can pretty much easily apply it to, to rugby, football, hockey, um, mm. any kind of field based sport. Uh, what does it make a difference for them for them sports? Is it is it really as important as as people think it is? I mean, is that is that the distinguishing factor, or is it just one of the malaise of things which is going on? Yeah, I think it's a bit of everything that you've talked about because context is really important. So a lot of the a lot of the team sport athletes, and this is this is where I think the industry lets itself down. Um, team sport athletes are novice sprinters. And when I say novice sprinters, obviously, we're not trying to get them to run 100 meters. However, what we're trying to do is, is raise their ceiling of technical efficiency, economy and actual maximum outputs. That's the first port of call. So, of course, it has a, a lot of positive um, effects. It can create um, real change. And, and, you know, for example, we're just talking about playing American football now. So one of the key things is create separation. Well, that all becomes from throwing your body into the air as fast as possible to get away from someone else. Whereas um, if you look at the other end, increase running economy and just increase your overall output of of velocity will actually slow the game down because an average pace of the game if you if you are superseding that then you're going to have you're going to have 80 minute you know 90th minute sprint ability as opposed to to gassing out and, and not being able to finish the job so this is highly contextual but definitely definitely important and then with with that in mind obviously then athletes are going to want that and coaches are going to want that because yeah playing to the last minute um, and winning in the, potentially the last minute is, is, uh, makes a difference between uh, winning a championship and losing. So when, when we consider that and the importance, how do we actually train it? Because I think um, there's, a, there's a kind of misconception that you can just run as fast as possible, as much as possible, and, and then you get fast. So in terms of sets, reps and rest, what are the key things that people need to consider when they're doing sprint training? Yeah, great question because, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there. That is, you know, when I first started coaching speed, it, it was all about trying to execute maximum sprinting, which now I know is the worst place to start because the, the argument that, um, that we have to have with that is how are we qualifying an athlete to, to actually deserve the right to sprint? So in, that first and foremost comes from technical qualification because a lot of athletes that you're faced with are going to be physically relatively strong, have some form of um, ability to perform plyometric activity, and but what they can't do is effectively put one foot in front of the other and sprint appropriately. So the best place to start is teaching the fundamental skills of the movement to then apply the pre-existing physical qualities that they have. And how do you go about doing that then? Because that sounds obviously very easy. Um, put them in those positions and say, go and replicate that. But uh, it's a little bit more difficult than that. How do you how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so the, the sort of number one base framework that I use is called learn, load and execute. 
and it's a cyclic um, cyclic framework which first of all you you provide and impart that information in the learn phases we're trying to learn body awareness we're trying to access new ranges of motion um, and areas of, of of discovery within the body and then from that we will load it so we will place a constraint on on the athlete which could be the we're, we're stressing the the physical components you know this could be like a heavy pulley walk or a heavy step walk or we're stressing the technical side of it so you know creating some sort of variability within the movement for example adding a adding a band or you know changing the way of the task and then we look to complete an execution of that movement where we apply some sort of pressure so every time that we're taking an athlete through that cycle and a simple string of what I would use for a novice athlete or someone starting, I would, I would go front side, simple wall holds. You know, you've got a stable surface, you, you're not moving. So there's no locomotion. So there's no momentum to have to manage. And then you can explore leg positions of our body in space. Then after that, I would probably load it depending on what I'm trying to load and, and spoke about this in the mini course for science for sport, the exercise classification, where and what are you trying to load? What body part are you trying to load? Because we know skill transfer comes from your transfer comes from either skill or motor control and motor learning or physical increased output. So we can load it in either way as we spoke about. Uh, and then the execution side of it would be like a one or a two or a three step push out, trying to find the positions that we've learned, trying to replicate the physical outputs that we're displaying in our loading. Um, and then, you know, piece it all together. So it becomes this very feeding system that allows you know almost guaranteed progression i think that's a that's a super clear way of building things up as well and when you when you get to uh let's say uh let's say you're working in a team sport and you want to actually apply some kind of um sprint stimulus now right so you've got some some technical aspects that you're working on um but you want to get some sprints in how are you then going to program those sprints? Bearing in mind that you've got a hundred thousand other things going on, they're going to play uh, the sport later. Let's say the end of the warm up, you're going to get some sprints in. What are your sets, reps, and rest looking like? Yeah. So in terms of sets, sets, reps, reps, and rest, you know, I'm for my time at, at, at Ealing when I was working with large groups of, of athletes, we had to we embedded speed into the culture of the program and so everything was um was was very congruent with one another and that made life a lot easier and some people don't have that luxury and so when you're when you're thinking end of the warm-up what i would do is again is place and and place understanding into your qualification of your athlete because you're not going to run 20 30 meter flies when you know it's quite a dangerous it's quite a high rate of acceleration activity high rate of decay in acceleration so massive risk and we were, I was having a conversation with someone the other week it's like no one pulls a hamstring at max velocity they usually pull it what trying to get there or trying to manage so when you're um, trying to prescribe their the, the speed and the speed effort what you want to do is hedge your bets uh, and think about how fast am I trying to get my athletes to a given speed? And so that can be an intensity quantifier for you. 
And what I would always look if in my coaching stream and my teaching stream needs to fulfill my sort of uh, potentiation stream, because that's what we're using them for. So if we're teaching through steps four, five and six, for example, then my um, end of warm up stuff will have a bias towards that. And then from there, I'll be looking at the session. And if you don't have GPS, it's absolutely fine. You can just watch the session and gauge and see the movements that they're doing. Like, are your athletes actually getting out of second or third gear more more than not during that session? That can be with stick in hand. Obviously, it can be with anything. So because I think one of the misconceptions that people fail to always acknowledge is that when you're playing a team sport, you spend 99 points five percent of the time without the ball so when you're or without or or not in play action so your preparation for that needs to look a little bit different i think we obsess and populate running almost pedal and they do a lot of that in in some sports and i I think it's really misleading because it goes against the laws of physics but that doesn't mean that um, the athletes need to be doing some uh, some high distance walking or whatever to to get some sports specific <laughs> yeah. training in, right? Like that uh, yeah. seems a bit exaggerative. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. So when we're looking at uh, speed, obviously a lot of people try and do a lot of gym work to supplement that, um, and that's that's proven to work in a lot of different scenarios. So what kind of gym work would you use to supplement speed training? Yeah, this is a great question, and it's something that I, I, I really enjoy um, talking about. And when what I find is is where this becomes misleading is that we're obviously there's a lot of correlation, causation sort of studies on X type of participant did X activity and got X result in sprinting, and but there's obviously holes and flaws in lots of these studies and the key the key point when when looking at gym prescription and any you you need to learn to stack your metrics and what i mean by that is obviously creating and and trying to find leading indicators within your program which are going to best serve improving sprintability so example for this when i was at ealing a lot of my a lot of my guys even my fastest guys would level out on their counter movement jumps anywhere between 45 and 50 centimeters they would never get they would never get um higher but we could increase their velocity and their acceleration so it becomes a poor leading indicator of a metric so you're looking to improve the the base biomotor abilities of an athlete in which you can measure it and then understand what that metric allows you to do to improve acceleration or max velocity so a simple example of this would be in the gym i would be looking for to start off with to be measuring broad jumps for acceleration i would i would then take my broad jump and i would measure multi-broad jumps into bounds so i'm stacking specificity of metrics and then for my bounds, I would stack that into my 10-meter sprint. And alongside that, in my um, in my weight training, I'd be looking at, okay, so if I'm running a broad jump, it's horizontal, initial overcoming of inertia. It's going to be a heavy static to dynamic activity. Okay, so we're going to take out, out the preload of the, the eccentric. Um, and the reason why we do that is to teach starting strength, which is really important for rapid acceleration at any given velocity, the ability to recruit motor units very fast. So I'd be using a trap bar, something like that, trap 
climb various various distances. I, I would then be looking to support my um, uh, stretch shortening cycle activity um, on higher velocities with some sort of ballistic means, which would then support my uh, multi-broad jump. Um, and then going through that into my bounds, then we're actually starting to look outside of the gym at looking at resisted pulley work or resisted sled work, which is going to support that more specificity. Secondary to that, inside the gym straight away, if I've got heavy overcoming work, for example, an acceleration, then I'm going to need to tax my hamstrings and posterior chain, um, my anterior and posterior slings in ways that do support that. Then that comes back to qualification of of an athlete again. So if my if my athlete can't hold a simple side plank or or a weighted front plank, then they're, they're not going to be able to posturally support them. And then you have like sitting and sitting on each other's hips in doing front planks. So we to 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 load heavy enough to manage lumbar pelvic position in a general sense. Um. So so in terms of how you're building and stacking your your exercises through, in the gym, it's literally just focusing on how we're we're developing those base um base abilities which then are taxed in further uh, specificity so with that plank for example well what we need is we need that anterior chain to be really really strong so when we're in sprinting and it becomes more elastic over force dominant dominant that they can actually withstand that and the tenderness load that is needed is much more compliant so hopefully that answers your question i mean i could break this down for the next hour but i want to give some clear framework there <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely mate absolutely so it, it sounds like uh, you've thought through very well um how those gym-based exercises relate to actually what's going to transfer to to speed um what i'm interested to hear is how that that stacking works right so you've got mm-hmm. um you've got like a broad jump and then so you're going to test mm-hmm. for for distance for example a broad jump, multiple broad mm-hmm. jumps, and bounce. But is that all in one test, or is that over different tests? How, how no. does that look? Yeah. So one of the one of the ideas, if everyone's familiar with vertical in, vertical integration, where you need to vertically integrate within your phases of vertical integration. I know that's confusing. <laughs> can can, can um, you explain that in terms of if if I was a, a five year old, firstly with in, a vertical integration, and how you vertically integrate vertical integration? Yeah. So, so what, what we're trying to do is, is if we've got like four or five major things that we're trying to, to attack and in, in sport, it's going to be strength, power, fitness, speed. Those are our simple components. We want to prioritize and distribute our percentage of, of, uh, detail of time spent in those areas as we go, as we go through our cycles. So a reverse periodization model, as we're all probably use or reverse engineering is going to be heavily biased towards strength at the beginning speed and capacity of speed later on where so but within those subsections so if we just break speed out like take that out and have a look at it within your initial cycles you want to be able to uh, structure your 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 metrics against that training so right at the beginning in my first sort of session and this is where training monitoring comes in as opposed to training testing testing for training so um you would almost build in those exercises or streams of progressions within those exercises into your training so for example i would if i'm if my attention is into the broad jump i would be looking at my extensive intensive jump relationships to to replicate that and people can argue go well you're just training for the test 
yes, I am exactly training for the test because I'm trying to produce and build those specific powers and those specific physical qualities that enhance that test because I know that that test is a leading indicator for the next step. So when we when we rotate through that, I will then come away out of, for example, block one will be broad jump, block two will be threefold, block three will be bound, block four could be sprint. But along t- alongside that, we are touching on all those qualities within every phase of training, but placing more emphasis on our understanding of that. So from block one, we're saying, well, you know, we've got a three meter broad jump and that's that's amazing, but we're losing conversion of that force through our three folds. Like our drop offs between our our jumps are too big, which means if you go right back to projectile physics, and this is one of the modules that I'm most excited about in the certifications is actually the true physics of sprinting. You go back to relationships of projectiles, then we know, right, well, we're losing a specific type of force here and there. So that's how you would then start enhancing your program to actually produce speed, to actually look at the things that matter and distill all your all the noise out of your program to create what we're what we're all after. And that's that speed that you can use in performance. And I think that leads us really nicely on to um to the next question as well, right? So you've gone through all of those kind of nice progressions, uh, gone through some gym stuff. Um, but is this different for team sport athletes compared to individual athletes? Do, do they need to be differentiated in any way? Or is it speed to speed? Yeah, so uh, speed is speed. You know, it's defined by laws of motion. So when um, you there is that intersection, that messy intersection that people create where it becomes for specific speed. Well, the only effective sport specific speed is this speed that you can actually use. And it goes into our maximal versus operational outputs. So I'm, I am really, really interested to see if my guys can hit 10 meters per second inside 40 meters, because I know that they have the tools to produce varying rates of acceleration, which they can use. It's like it's where people forget, you know, your max, your max speed is a representation of just as your maximum squat. It's a maximal physical output. So you, you, when you're training for rugby, football, hockey, American football, anything, anything like that, it doesn't really matter. Um, if you're, what you're doing doesn't look like the game because there's enough, you're doing always doing enough of the game. And if you, you assess and readily look at the qualification of an athlete, then you're, you're going to see the holes and the gaps of things that you need. And we create a simple scoring system within different levels of qualification. So, you know, for example, it's, if you can imagine physical attributes on the, the top of the matrix scored from one to four and then, um, speed qualification down the side of a, of the table scoring one to four, nine times out of 10, you're going to rank like a lot of your athletes are going to be physically prepared to a four score, four being the highest. They're going to be really strong. They're going to be really robust in the gym, but they're only going to be a one or a two when it comes to sprinting we all know the guys that are really strong and can't move can't transfer it to the field so therefore then if you've got four and a two for example then you need to spend that time at that two unlocking and looking at the specific metrics that you need to change in order to get them to a four four 
because we want guys that are super powerful in the gym and super and can actually use what they've got in the field. So hopefully that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I think um, it's it's very easy to get caught up in the uh, increasing your gym scores and forgetting that at some point you do need to have a sprint and um, yeah, be fast. And obviously, yeah. uh, a one one max back squat is uh, is not indicative of uh, of speed, although you might see mm. some kind of correlation for a long time. Um, because in terms of the, then, sorry, sorry yeah, go, go, go. Yes, yeah, so go, 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 because go. there is that famous saying of like being strong will make you fast until being fast will make you strong. But I've never heard anyone, and I've never actually listened to anyone that tells me, "Well, I've actually worked out that I worked out when that point changes." And and that's what we're trying to do with that scoring system and the metric stacking is to identify exactly when being strong just doesn't matter anymore. And it's it's, it's really it's really difficult, right? Because uh, you can invest so much time, energy, and adaptive resources into to getting stronger, um, but yeah. you could resu- you could invest all of those resources in getting faster and maintaining strength. And yeah, where where do you need to focus? And obviously, if there's a solution to that problem, then absolutely fantastic. But it's a, it's a really <laughs> tricky question to answer. Yeah, for sure. That's what we're trying to do, anyway. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but the example, like the example I always use with that, with when I had Alex Gray, like he was six foot six, hundred and fifteen kilos, um, ten meters per second sprinter, ran nine over nine and a half meters per second six times in ten minutes. Uh, in under in under 40 meters we um only really hit uh 80 80 to 85 percent of max strength work um in the first couple of weeks of training and that was it and, no, so and for, for this, a year for a whole year uh, cycle we were um we were in the in the in the trenches for about eight months the first two weeks were, were actual max strength and the rest was uh, speed and power. The rest was developing everything that we needed. And it was really funny that, you know, at month four or five, he was keel elevating, uh, split squatting 220 kilos fast. And we weren't <laughs> concerned with strength. It was I mean, everything like was we were fairly strong that, already then. <laughs> system with him. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Watch. So if there's if there's a, a youth athlete listening who mm. hears all of that great information, they're like, oh, wow, I want that that kind of uh, mm-hmm. speed, power, strength. Um, where would you go for a 16 year old? Like what, what would they what should they be doing to get that kind of speed and strength? Yeah. So this is a question I always love to answer because I start my international rugby players or whoever at the same place as we start our nine-year-olds in the academy. We start exactly in the same place, and that is learning the skills of movement. The only difference is is that when you're playing in the premiership, we need to push you through them faster because obviously you're, you're older and you can you can handle that. But at the same time, any, anyone younger, if you, if you can't do a wall hold, if you can't push through your body and create tension, if you can't leg exchange well, in, in space um, in, in time, then those are the things that you need to be working on. You, you the, the thing about developing speed, it comes through patience and it comes through getting out there and, and doing the reps. And let's not forget, like speed is strength training. 
until it becomes speed training. And if you go through understanding the, the simple bumper qualifications of training, learning to train, training to train, training to uh, compete, training to win, it's exactly the same. You just need to identify on your path where you are and you can't ever go wrong with pulling and pushing heavy sets. Can't go wrong with that. Um, and you can't go wrong with learning how to speed drill and warm up because there are discrete plyometrics. And, you know, I have athletes that come to me and of the first thing that we do is to take them through a speed warm up and their hips are cramping, their calves are cramping, they get hamstring doms. Um, and then that's their session because that's, that's when they're done because if you can't warm up, then their qualification to training is not, is not ready. And, and again, one of my bugbearers with, with speed in team sports is that you're given 15 minutes to warm up and sprint. Um, what do you do with that? So over the period of time, I did it with eating my first year. Is I, we, every speed session, we just learned to warm up. Everything was just about developing the low-hanging fruit. So for a youth athlete, it's, it's you have time, but if you can push something heavy and you can pull something heavy, you can learn how to pogo a skip, skip for height, skip for distance, um, jump, uh, rotate in the air. Then that's those are the things that are going to allow you to improve your speed. Absolutely excellent, Sam. Massive thanks for your time and effort for today. I really appreciate it, and there's so many nuggets of information in there. So, before we uh, kick you off and uh, allow you to crack on with your day, where can people find more information from you? Um, so at coach underscore Sportland, uh, on, on Instagram, uh, is the best place to, to find me for everything in, in, in there that you need really. Absolutely. Excellent buddy. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to speaking soon. Thanks Matt. Great to, great to chat. Man. Cheers buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Sam for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, there's one that you'll specifically really enjoy in there, and that's Sam's personal lecture. So if you think you can learn some more and you want to get that information, click the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be absolutely fantastic if you can share it with a colleague, a friend, a family member, or even an athlete. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.